This is episode 18 with sports rehabilitation expert, former professional rugby player, and consultant to professional soccer and rugby teams, Mr. James Dunn. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Jason Fitzgerald, the head coach of strengthrunning.com, and we've got a great show for you today. Joining me is a fellow coach and admitted injury prevention geek, James Dunn. James is the founder of kineticrevolution.com, and he specializes in identifying and correcting dysfunctional movement patterns that either cause injuries or reduce your efficiency as an endurance runner. James holds a degree in sports rehabilitation and has a special interest in the functional biomechanics of running. In other words, how you move while you're running. And today we're talking about the special considerations that bigger runners need to remember when it comes to staying healthy. There's a lot of resources and background on the Strength Running blog, so be sure to check out the blog post about this episode as well at strengthrunning.com slash blog. And also before we start, if you haven't already seen it, over the past few weeks, I've been working with a lot of professional runners to get their favorite injury prevention strategies and tips and tricks and tactics so that you can see exactly how the best runners in the world stay healthy. I called it the little black book of prevention and recovery, and it's free. Just go to strengthrunning.com slash elites with an S, it's plural, strengthrunning.com slash elites to pick up the free guide. All right, let's dive in, guys. I hope you enjoy my chat with James Dunn. Are you 6'4"? 6'6", 250. 6'6", You are quite literally two of me. I'm about 125 <laughs> pounds. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Maths so works. Talk about stereotypical runner's body. I pretty much look exactly like Dathan Ritz and I. Mm. Okay, cool. So um, I guess let's start with you know, let's talk about injury prevention from a really general perspective. Um, so what are some of the most important elements of injury prevention? And then we can really drill down into, uh, how bigger runners can, can think about this too. Sure. Okay, perfect. So, I mean, I am a big, big, big advocate in terms of talking about the importance of strength training, mobility training, and doing all the, the, the work alongside your mileage. So obviously, as runners, we need to run. We need to get the key sessions in. We need to get the certain amount of mileage that's going to be appropriate for where we are in our kind of running journey to keep on progressing. But obviously, when it comes to um, the, the various exercises and routines, you can have all those absolutely spot on. And we can get into what that looks like later on, but you can have all those absolutely spot on. But if you have serious training errors going on in your training program, um, then no amount of single leg squats and glute bridges and uh, hip flexor stretches are going to be able to save you from what unfortunately so many runners see as the inevitable, which I genuinely don't believe should be the inevitable, which is injury. Um, it's important to make sure that we're on one hand getting the, 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 the strength, strength and conditioning slash injury prevention work right. And on the other hand, making sure that we're giving ourselves the appropriate amount of, uh, amount of rest and recovery between key sessions we're spacing our key sessions out properly um and we're giving ourselves on i suppose a, on more of a, a macro level more of uh, more of those um sort of adaptation weeks and, and offload weeks rather than just hammering ourselves week after week after week so as with any runner heavy set or otherwise uh, training error is a big part of the um the reason why people get injured so getting that right 
is seriously important. I was just going to say, I'm so glad you said that because, um, you know, I, I've tried to hammer home this point a lot of times that no amount of strength work is over is going to overcome poor training habits. So, mm. you know, there's no, you know, really specific routine or exercise or some magic workout or, or some secret tip. It's really just making sure that you're training appropriately, that your running is structured really well, that your workouts and long runs and recovery days are patterned appropriately, and you're making sure that all your bases are covered in that regard. And, and that is really the first line of defense. And then once you kind of get your training right, then you can move into you know the, the runner-specific strength exercises and some of the more advanced recovery techniques and things like that. But Above all, it's the training that matters so much more. Yeah. So the way I like to explain it to people is that, you know, the the training is the training plan is the the absolute um, the absolute structure you're working from. Okay. So we need to understand what the long runs need to look like. We need to understand what our various different types of speed session, hill reps, all sorts need to look like, um, as well as obviously making sure we're balancing out as we're talking about the uh, the intensity versus the recovery work, etc. But once you understand the stress factors that each of those components puts on your body and the stress factors that those in combination put on your body, then you can start to look to say, well, okay, I know that those stress factors combined with the fact that perhaps I have a history of shin splints or I have a history of runner's knee, um, what do I need to do to mitigate the fact that um, that the, this is hard on my body. You know, running is hard on our body, full stop. It's a heavily weight-bearing activity. This isn't swimming we're talking about, which obviously has its own issues um, in terms of shoulders and whatnot. With us runners, we're thinking about things like knees. Um, so we need to say, right, this is my training load. What can I do to help myself here? So for every runner, really, when we're thinking about the heavily weight-bearing aspect and the fact that the knee is so um, so commonly injured when we're looking at different types of the body that us runners manage to hurt. Um, we need to think with our strength conditioning plans and our injury prevention plans, what exercises can we put in there to start to mitigate um, the, the the risk here? So to start to strengthen around the knee. Um, obviously, talk about running technique later on, um, but what can we do to help ourselves out? And then when we overlay on top of that, the fact like uh, the fact um, the fact that some of us runners are bigger guys and girls. Um, so whether you are like me, six six two fifty, and you know, ex ex professional rugby player. So I wouldn't call myself fat. I'm kind of around the eighteen percent body fat mark. But you've got other people who you know, are genuinely overweight, and that comes with a different um, a different challenge in terms of saying you know perhaps before we go significant increasing with the mileage, we actually do something about the body composition. So obviously diet's a big part here. But when we think about the actual load bearing part of running and the fact that one way or another us bigger guys and girls are carrying more weight and are experiencing more impact with each stride than someone like yourself, Jason, um, then all of a sudden we think, well, perhaps actually it makes sense for me to focus a little bit more on the strengthening side because I've just got more for my body to, my body has to tolerate more. Um, so let's try and build that resilience and build that, uh, build that resistance to the, the various stresses and strains. And then also think about with the speed side of things in particular. So, particularly you know you kind of your hard track sessions and this can be difficult because of course if you're a club member um then there's a real social side to the track sessions as well but those of us who are a bit heavier a little bit heavier said a little bit bigger um we need to think about well how much speed work is going to be uh, appropriate for my body right now 
you know, am I able, am I going to be able to get away with as many speed sessions with a, quite such a frequency as um, perhaps my friend who's you know well, as as, as you say, one hundred twenty five pounds instead of two hundred and fifty pounds. Um, you know, he might be able to do a track session on a Tuesday and a kind of balls to the wall tempo session on a Thursday. Whereas I might need to say, you know what, actually, I'm going to do my track session on Tuesday, but I'm going to make that Thursday run an easy session because my body just needs the recovery because it's, it's, it's lugging around a lot of weight around the track. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, it sounds like, you know, if you're heavier, there's more of an importance on the strength work because what you're doing is you're hardening the body and making your muscles and connective tissue, tissues more resilient to the higher impact forces that you're going to experience. So, you know, while st- strength work, uh, and, and me and you are exactly the same in this regard, we are both uh, extremely aggressive when it comes to the importance of runners doing their strength exercises. You know, I, I always say that strength work isn't even cross training. I don't consider it cross training. I consider it just part of a runner's normal training. So if you are only running and not doing any strength work, then you're not really training appropriately. And I consider that a training error, but for heavier runners, it's maybe a little bit more important. Um, now are, is there any research that shows heavier runners are more susceptible to injuries? So in other words, if a runner is overweight, should they be more worried about you know, starting to run or, or getting injured while they're running? Um, looking at it from a very kind of clear perspective in terms of answering the first question, if you like, you know, is there any research that clearly states you know, heavier runners are more likely to get injured? I've struggled to actually find something to come on here with now that clearly kind of illustrates that point in a very black and white way. But when we look at risk factors for injuries like shin splints, for example, um, clear and well-documented risk factors to that, that particular injury. So you know, medically, we'd refer to it as medial tibial stress syndrome. One of the risk factors is body weight. Um, and the same with plantar fasciitis, again, body weight. Um, now, body weight's a very general term. So are we talking about, um, to be really blunt, are we talking about fatter runners or are we talking about runners who are just heavier but have uh, a leaner body composition? doesn't really say. Um, but the combination a lot of the time of a runner carrying extra weight plus quite often being newer to running as well, um, which sometimes that goes hand in hand with training errors. So some, cause sometimes uh, you just find that, you know, a lot of the time with, with newer runners, they unfortunately make um, you know, common mistakes, let's say. Um, there is a, a correlation there. But yeah, hand on heart, I have struggled to actually find any solid research to back that up. But uh, yeah, anecdotal research and, and, and experience goes a long way with this. And I'm sure you've seen the same. Yeah, I have. And and before we uh, chat today, I was looking at, at some studies and research and, and articles written about this very topic. And, you know, I, I struggled with it, too. I found uh, there was one study that showed heavier runners. You know, it was a particular BMI. I think it was over 27. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a higher risk of stress fractures. But other than mm-hmm. that, they had no other uh, heightened risk of injury uh, compared with runners who are at a lower weight. I also found some yeah. interesting research research that showed that, uh, and this is true for both men and women, that if you are underweight or if your BMI is under, I think it was about 19.5, then you're also at a higher risk of injury. Uh, and, and that mm. probably, 
you know, that's its own can of worms and, and we could probably spend another podcast talking about that. But oh, um, God, yeah. what do you think about the idea that, you know, heavier runners, uh, they're obviously carrying some extra weight compared with someone who, who isn't as heavy. Um, and we all know that carrying extra weight is going to slow you down. Um, so those slower speeds do mean that you're going to experience less impact force, um, you know, with every step that you take. Is that, you know, uh, and actually let me back up. There's also, uh, the idea that, um, you know, if you're, if you're heavier, you're just adapted to carrying that extra weight. So if you're running slower because you're heavier and then you're adapted to, uh, just carrying that extra, extra weight, does that mean that, you know, maybe you have exactly the same injury risk as, as another runner who isn't as heavy? It's a really interesting one and one where we can really talk about a lot of a lot of kind of theory. But from a point of view of um, the first point you made in terms of running slower um, and less less impact, I find that to be quite an interesting point to kind of ponder because a lot of the time when we look at the, the kind of the, the combination of pace – alongside some of the variables that actually dictate what pace we're running at. So the two variables being stride length and stride frequency. So how much ground are you covering per stride and how many times are you turning your legs over per minute? Cadence, stride frequency, same thing. Um, we find that although obviously as you speed up and slow down, those two variables should increase and decrease along with pace, a lot of the time when runners run significantly slower than um than let's say a kind of a self-selected comfortable running pace then all of a sudden their cadence so their stride frequencies tends to slow down a little bit more than we'd want it to and they start to get into a position where they need more likely to overstride and there was some uh, good research i think it's 2011 paper from brian heiderscheidt who really really well um illustrated how for a given pace a given self-selected pace running at a cadence which was um so they basically what they they asked runners to do was to pick a self-selected comfortable pace and then run at a cadence which was minus five percent and minus ten percent and then plus five percent and plus ten percent what they would have naturally comfortably run at they found that when running with a cadence of um minus five uh, so the other way around when they started running with a cadence of plus five percent then actually that slightly quicker shorter stride actually resulted in less what they referred to as um as uh, well it's basically eccentric load at the knee so less energy absorption is the term they used at the knee um when they increased the cadence to 10%, then that was a change in terms of the energy absorption at the knee and at the hip, both, both for the positive. So what we see, to flip that on its head and think about that in kind of everyday context, what we see a whole load when going through the gait analysis side of things that, uh, that myself and my colleagues do with runners uh, on a regular basis is that particularly when running at a slower pace, there's more of a tendency for these runners to get... Yeah, again, in quotation marks, I'd say get a little bit lazy with their form, get a little bit kind of sloppy with their form and start to overstride because their cadence has dropped too low, which puts more stress and strain upon those big, important joints. So the knee, the hip and the muscles around that muscles, tendons around that. Um, so asking them to then start to actually increase their cadence a little bit, turn their legs over that little bit faster for the given pace. So let's say if it's nine, if it's nine minute miles, they're dropping in out there, then say, we'll keep you at nine minute miles, but just ask you to make sure to quicker strides. Then all of a sudden they learn to put a little bit 
less impact through their body from the ground up, less impact through those important joints, so particularly knees and hips, um, which can make such a difference. Um, so it's interesting as well that that's not a phenomenon which is particularly um, exclusive to runners who are of a certain BMI and above or a certain BMI and below. Um, we see this from runners who are you know, trying to crack sub three, um, you know, who as we start to see them at their long, slow run pace, so their long Sunday run pace in comparison to watching them do you know, 800 meter and K reps, those two very different paces, they get a lot more untidy for want of a better term at that slower pace. So again, teaching those guys to turn their legs over a little bit quicker, land that little bit closer to underneath underneath the flexing knee, so to avoid overstriding, puts a lot less strain through the whole system. Now, as a heavier runner, and again, this is a, this is true for, for beginner runners as well, a lot of the time, same, you know, same bracket if someone's coming to running a little bit overweight, um, this just becomes an even more important factor because if you've got even, if you've got, let's say, excess body weight bearing down on top of a foot as it's striking the ground too far ahead of yourself, setting you up to overstride, put more stress on the knee, more stress on the hip and up through the system, then that's just even more potential for, for problems down the line, you know, load-related problems in particular. So for us bigger guys and girls, learning to actually start to work on running form a little bit, turn the legs over a little bit quicker and land a little bit lighter, can make such a difference. I went off down a bit of a rabbit hole there, but did that uh, did that help? Yeah, no, it did. I, I love it. And it makes a lot of intuitive, intuitive sense to me as a runner and to me as a coach because, you know, I, I think every runner has, you know, when it comes to their easy pace, every runner has a range. You know, there's there's mm. not, you know, your easy pace is not nine minutes per mile. It's probably somewhere between about 8.30 and 9.30. And I, I think a lot of runners, especially, you know, I've been talking a lot about this recently, the importance of going really easy on your recovery days, but mm. that doesn't necessarily mean that slower is better because I think you're absolutely correct that, um, the slower you go beyond a certain point, your form starts to get a little sloppy. You yeah. uh, reinforce some bad habits, and we can see the opposite when you uh, either run fast um, or if you're, um, you know, running uphill. Then it's it's a good way to reinforce good running form. It's harder mm. to have very sloppy running form when you're running a little bit faster or if you're running uphill. So I think both of those strategies are really important for uh, reinforcing proper form. And I think it's also a good reminder that um, you know reducing or completely eliminating speed work is not necessarily the best way to prevent injuries. Uh, I think it's kind of a one-dimensional way of looking at injury prevention and you know while you know the overall speed and, and intensity load of your training is really important when it comes to you know what mm -hmm. your injury risk is, we also have to take a step back and say, Yes, that's true, but that doesn't necessarily mean we want to not run fast at all. You know, we just want the right balance, and I think that's the really important part. Completely, completely agree. Um, one thing that I'll just pick up on in terms of what you just said there, in terms of uh, hill work, again, just to reiterate the point you brilliantly made, um, is the fact that when running uphill, so if we compare this to uh, what I was talking about earlier in terms of the tendency for so many runners to overstride, land ahead of themselves. When you're running uphill, the fact that the next stride is just that little bit higher than the previous stride 
then it increases the chance of you not overstriding. It almost stops you from being able to overstride. So it actually forces you to get closer to landing underneath that flexing knee, which is ideal. It's exactly what, exactly, exactly what we're after. Not only that, but it also helps us actually start to get a little bit more out of particularly glutes and hamstrings, those really important posterior muscle groups. So I often refer to hill sessions as being a great way of running, running strength into good form. And hill running with good form is a great way of building strength into the technique we're after. Um, whereas if you've got... Um, more of a tendency perhaps to shuffle um, as you're getting tired running uphill and, and lean forwards. Again, that can put a bit more stress on the knee. So technique's really important you know, in every respect, but particularly when you're running up hills. But executed well, they are fantastic for, uh, for helping you put the intensity into your sessions without the same impact as you would do if you're doing uh, speed sessions on the flat. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing too about uphill running is that it makes it really hard to have a very aggressive heel strike. Now I know that mm. not all heel strikes are created equal. Some heel striking is is totally fine. It's normal. You know, you can look at Meb Keflazigi. He has a mm. mild heel strike. Uh, a lot of people have described it as a proprioceptive heel strike, meaning that you know, yes, it hits the ground first, but m most of his weight comes down on his midfoot after his knee is in a good position. And so it's not that you know, that kind of really aggressive heel smashing variety of heel striking. And so when you're running uphill, it, not only is it hard to overstride, but it's also harder to aggressively heel strike. Mm. Um, now, James, let's talk about... Um, not just heavier runners, but runners who gain weight. So, you know, I mentioned before that, you know, intuitively and through my coaching experience, it seems that, you know, if you're a heavier runner, if we keep intensity in check, that the injury risk isn't dramatically higher than, than, uh, you know, someone who isn't overweight, but if you're, you historically haven't been overweight and then, you know, maybe over the couple months, maybe it's the holiday season and we have a little bit too much eggnog and ham, then <laughs> where we gain a couple pounds, you know, and maybe, maybe it's more than a couple pounds. Is that kind of a scenario, maybe the most dangerous or, or the highest risk scenario is probably more appropriate uh, because your body isn't adapted to handle those higher impact forces and, isn't adapted to uh, carrying around that extra weight. Yeah, I think it all works in a bit of um, a bit of a circle, if you like. So, if you've scenario you're talking about, so post Christmas, great scenario. Um, chances are you've put on a little bit of extra weight because perhaps you've been backing off on the training alongside the the indulgence. Um, so, the biggest mistake you're going to make in that respect is to lead with your um lead with your heart rather than your head and and or probably not the best analogy um but is to basically try and jump back in where you left off and say you know what i i was happily knocking out 65 mile weeks um through november and into december before the wheels fell off a little bit um you know what i'm just going to jump straight back in, in in january with all the excitement of new year's resolutions jump back into that same point it's the same conversation we'd have if someone had had uh, a short-term layoff through injury. Um, obviously, the, the scenario may be very different. It may be they're they're exactly the same in terms of body composition and um, and body weight as they were prior to their injury. But the fact that they've been not running as much or not running full stop, and therefore not experiencing the same loads through the tendons and through the muscles, there'd be a degree of deconditioning there. So whether it's um, you know, deconditioned tissue, normal load, or whether it's normal tissue, increased load, 
we need to still respect that and just back off a little bit and perhaps those first couple of weeks back you know start back in with um, 60% training load and then take that up to um, you know incrementally up by 10% as we go for the next few weeks um, I think that would be that would be a smarter way to go rather than just making the mistake that I've seen too many people make and it's not just a, a running thing you know I've seen this plenty of times with people who uh, have been have been out for you know, an extended period of time from playing some playing some basketball or playing some uh, you know, I'm an ex rugby player, so what comes to mind is touch rugby. And um, all of a sudden, they their brain thinks they're able to do something, but their body's physically saying, "Hang on a second. And a lot of the time, that ends up with ends up with some sort of injured outcome. Um, so to be a bit sensible with it makes makes total sense. Yeah, it just reminds me of the great principle to always start where you are, not where you want to be or where you were. So that's a really helpful way of thinking about uh, coming back from an injury or or really just ramping up your training. You always have to, you know, start from where you are and build from there, and not kind of start it, from yeah. you know where you used to be two years ago or where you'd like to be at the end of a training cycle. Mm-hmm. Isn't it the danger of um, okay, slightly different thing, but but similar conversation? The danger of online training pace calculators, where you know someone will plug in a, uh, a desired marathon time and then work backwards from the pace across the uh, the various different types of session that they're going to do. The paces that the calculator spits out, um, rather than what they should be doing, which is plugging in a time relevant to their current level of fitness, which then tells them the route forwards rather than trying to de- deconstruct the route backwards from the desired outcome. Um, yes, yeah. exactly. And, and I'm sure you see that because I have those conversations far too often. Yes, I have those conversations all the time. And I'm always saying, um, look, don't put in your all-time best PR if you haven't done that recently. And so, you know, it's funny. When I write um, a a custom training plan for runners, one of the questions I ask is, you know, what are some of your recent PRs? But I I use the word recent very purposefully because I don't want your all-time PRs if those were 10 years ago because it's almost irrelevant. You know, you were a whole different runner 10 years ago. You know, back in the day when, you know, I ran my mile PR, I was a whole different runner. I cannot come close to what I ran in the mile back in 2006 that I can do now in 2017. And it also reminds me of, I just really dislike time-based training plans. So I'll get a lot of runners ask me, can you write me a training plan for a three-hour marathon, for example? And I'll say, Mm -hmm. well, are you ready to run a three hour marathon? Are you, are you close? Are you kind of in the ballpark? Because if you're not, if you're a three hour and 45 minute marathoner, then you're probably not going to run a three hour marathon. The next time you line up on the starting line, it's really, again, we're not going to train you based on where you want to be. We're going to train you based on where you are with the goal of progressing you to the point of actually achieving your goals. So yeah, long term long term goals and wish lists are super super important, but so is pragmatic uh, pragmatic thinking and uh, and kind of understanding exactly what we're talking about here in terms of knowing where you are now and how that needs to play out over the next 6 weeks. Yeah, totally. Now, <laughs> let's um let's talk about strength uh strength exercises. Um are do heavier runners need to either modify exercises in some way or uh, do different types of strength exercises, or is this kind of piece of injury prevention universal among all runners? Uh, I think there are different types of session. I mean, the uh, the sorts of sessions which I would argue are more universal are particularly for 
particularly for, well, I'd say particularly for, but it's not particular, actually. It's just even more relevant for your office-based recreational runner um, is your hip mobility work, you know, trying to trying to offset the effect of being stuck behind a desk day in, day out. Um, so your hip mobility work, your particularly gluteal activation work, core work, um, in terms of not just thinking about these kind of rectus abs, so your six-pack muscles, but thinking about the way in which any muscle that affects the position dynamically of the pelvis and low back as we're running um, could be considered a core muscle. So that widens the, the envelope there massively in terms of what's considered core work. Um, and then thinking about all our myriad of different single-leg stability exercises. So our exercises which mimic the demands of running the fact that you're only ever on one leg or the other or in midair when you're running and we need to get super good at controlling particularly hip position knee position and ankle position and those things relative to one another as we're landing up on that leg stabilizing before we then push off so lots of our um as i say stability mobility and stability work it is important across the board what i'd argue potentially for someone who is heavier set and by heavier set i mean um let's say high bmi so they're kind of down the the route where they've um kind of say that they're carrying a bit too much body fat um and i know bmi this is the whole that could be a whole podcast as well whole arguments around that but let's just say runners who carry too much body fat um i'd argue potentially there's a bit of uh, benefit there to perhaps add in a little bit more of a focus towards some high intensity interval training um from a, a more circuit training point of view. So again, we're getting the benefit of mixing up movement patterns because running is such a repetitive movement pattern, particularly road running, and we'll come on to that in a second. Um, but yeah, mixing up movement patterns and focusing on big movements, big compound movements. So lots of squats, lots of lunges, things like that, which are going to use the bigger muscle groups around the bigger joints, burn more think about this burn more energy and that that high intensity as well we're going to be getting some uh, some ongoing effects in terms of you know, kick-starting the metabolism and hopefully over time getting a bit of a change in terms of uh, body composition if the diet's right and god that's a whole nother thing and i know you've got lots of resources in terms of uh, in terms of nutrition um but yeah i think the the staples are you know the the real kind of I think kind of well understood um, stability, mobility side of things, you know, the control side of things, and then from a, a heavier, a heavier, a heavier runner point of view, um, just seeing what we can do to kickstart the furnace to help actually try and, if there is need to burn a bit bit of fat, help along the way there rather than just relying on the run sessions. Yeah, James, you also have a lot of really good uh, body weight exercises on your website that I'm going to link to uh, in the blog post around this podcast. So uh, for our listeners, definitely check out the post here. There's a lot of really great uh, single leg exercises, hip exercises. Um, you know, there's an, I'll, I'll link to a couple of routines that uh, I use with my athletes as well uh, in the blog post here. So they're all super helpful. And one of the questions I was going to ask you was, was about weight loss. So, okay, mm. if they're, if a runner is overweight, uh, they want to lose a couple pounds. What is, how do they structure their training in such a way that they're, they're prioritizing prevention because we always want to stay healthy, but at the same time, they're exercising in a certain way that's going to promote, uh, additional weight loss. And you mentioned, you know, uh, higher intensity work, uh, strength circuits, uh, and, and I just wanted to piggyback off that and just say, 
um, you know, one of the risk factors for injuries is running speed. So, you know, if you're doing a lot of high intensity workouts, a lot of really fast workouts on the track, for example, then your injury risk is going to be higher. And especially if you're overweight. So I've found that one of the really good ways to, to kind of get the intensity without the injury risk is to do it with some either no impact or very low impact cross training. So you can do, mm. you can do intervals on the bike, you can do pool running and, um, you know, really get, get the heart rate up in the pool that way. And those two forms of exercise, there's, there's no impact. You're not, uh, you know, it's not a load bearing exercise. So you're not putting additional strain on your muscles and connective tissues. So I think that's a really good way to get the benefits of the intensity without the drawbacks of the additional injury risk. But I'm curious, James, what are some other strategies that runners can use from an exercise perspective? Well, we'll leave diet alone for today, but from an exercise perspective, you know, what can we do to help lose some extra weight? Cool. Okay. I was going to say, before you gave me that last little kind of caveat, I was going to say, put the running book down and sort your diet out. Um, <laughs> but, but actually, um, around that, around the, the run side of things, um, you've just made some great points in terms of the, the intensity work, getting that largely done in less of an impactful way. I think that's huge. Um, I think that's something which, again, um, from a club running point of view, you know, sometimes having a conversation with a, a lady yesterday talking about exactly that, the fact that her club do a lot of um, a lot of intensity work throughout the week, and there there isn't really an option on a few of those days for um, for to going with a, a session doing uh, going with a, a group doing an easier an easier paced session. Um, it's case of as you say, doing the finding a way of getting the intensity work in there and doing a lot of. Uh, a lot of easy running, you know, just starting to actually work on. And this is, okay, this is something that a lot of beginner runners struggle with and I have struggled with as well. Work on learning what an anaerobic pace feels like. And I don't mean anaerobic. I mean anaerobic pace feels like. Learning to slow down is so, so important. And this is something which is a little bit contrary to what I was talking about earlier. So we've got the biomechanical side of things where slow running, poorly executed, puts a lot of impact on the body. Um, but we've also got the physiological side of things where it's actually really important to get the slower running in there to actually develop the aerobic system to help you actually begin to use fat as a fuel. And that's, again, a really important, uh, a really important adaptation that a lot of runners really benefit from spending a bit of time uh, time training um, and that for for a lot of people really does take some doing in terms of learning to actually take the the pace down to what should be a very comfortable very conversational pace so from my um, from my experience again I'll, I'll give you my um, personal experience so I guess I can talk about that with the most uh, the most clarity so have from childhood always played sports which involve kind of intermittent sprinting so i'm sprinting here sprinting there sprinting there constantly for 80 90 minutes just redlining you know working very 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 anaerobically body swimming in lactate um and and getting relatively used to being in that kind of position it hurts but you get good at hurting so then when i start to get a bit more serious about my running i um i was in this position where intuitively and, and intellectually I know that I need to make sure that the majority of my running is at this in inverted commas easy pace 
But what I was perceiving as an easy pace was just less of an intense pace. So I went to do um, a, a battery of metabolic testing with an exercise physiologist here in London. And he graphically showed me very, very clearly, um, having done some um, some gas analysis work and some blood work on the treadmill where he taken me to, to exhaustion. Um, he was showing me that what I perceived to be a, a an appropriate pace for a, a long run, what I feel is an aerobic pace, um, in fact, is me working at what really I should be calling more of a tempo pace. Um, and that I was out there doing 14, 16 mile tempo runs and wondering why I was knackered on a Monday and I was hurting on the Monday. And off the back of his advice, learning to actually slow down to what for me was a, a, a bracket, um, a training zone heart rate wise between 126 and 136 beats per minute felt like I might as well still be on the couch. I might as well still be, I might as well be walking. But learning to have patience with myself and actually run at that pace and learn what an easy pace should feel like. Firstly, it allowed me to develop a little, little bit more um, aerobic endurance, which is you know the the core of what everything is built upon in terms of our distance running world. You know, even you know, we consider 5K as being you know one of the kind of the shorter, harder distances. But let's not forget, in the world of track athletics, that's a long you know that's a long race. Okay, so it's um, there's a sort of misnomer there or a bit of misunderstanding amongst new runners there. You know, even 5K is very your 5K performance is still very much dependent on your aerobic capacity above all else, your aerobic fitness above all else. So developing that aerobic fitness, um, that aerobic endurance, certainly took a bit of time and a bit of patience and learning to slow things down. But the big important thing from my point of view, as as I said, a heavier runner, a heavier set guy, is that I'd wake up on a Monday morning and I'd feel good to go again. You know, I might have done 16 miles yesterday, and usually with my 16-mile easy run that was actually a 16-mile tempo run, um, I'd be wrecked on Monday and nowhere near ready for a quality session on Tuesday. I'd wake up on Monday, good to go, and Tuesday was quality, quality, quality. Um, and that's huge, learning to get that right. Um, so, again, it's all down to execution. It's learning that even though you're running slow, technique should still be on point. You should still be thinking about these kind of small, quick steps, landing you know, nice and gentle, whether it's gently on the heel or gently midfoot, doesn't matter, but landing gently rather than smashing yourself um, with this big, heavy, overstriding heel strike. These things all just go hand in hand. Um, and in these kind of, uh, particularly for, for newer runners, getting these learnings up front, learning these things ahead of time before you um, fall foul of, let's say, runner's knee or something like that is so, so important. And managing to focus on getting the easy work done and then the harder work, the, the, the intense sessions done in a, a less load-bearing way. So whether that's on the bike, on the elliptical, whether that's aqua jogging, whatever it is, that's a, a fantastic way to start to balance out the different stresses and strains on the body. Now, how do we teach how to run easy? Because I've found that this is very challenging to me as a coach. Uh, I either have runners go too fast or they, they want to run, you know, really, really slow, a pace that I think is, is not appropriate for their current fitness level. And I, I've, I've been challenged with this and I've, I've struggled with it. How do, we, how do we teach runners to know what a conversational easy pace is? You know, I've, I've tried to do this by saying, you know, remember the three C's of easy running. You need to feel in control. It needs to be conversational 
and the last C is comfortable. So controlled, comfortable, and conversational. And if, if you meet those three C's, then you're probably running an easy pace and that's probably appropriate for you. But how do we go deeper than that? Like, do you have any strategies for that? I follow a very similar, very, very similar kind of paradigm as you by the sounds of it. Um, you know, control super important. The, um, again, I flip between using the whole idea of you know, literally conversational. So if we were running together or if you're running with a running partner, you can talk at a normal, you know, a normal running, uh, sorry, a normal verbal cadence, um, normal kind of talking rhythm, um, or breathing rate as well. You know, you should be at a point where you're, you're not you're not really out of breath um and if you can or at least your breathing is super controlled um at no point should you feel like you're gasping um or you're having to you know you're you're having to compose yourself before you answer a question you know you should be able to um you should be able to converse um beyond that unless we're going down the route of um of using heart rate and heart rate is great if you've had the appropriate testing done um and you know, I, I certainly don't expect my coaching clients uh, to all go and find their nearest exercise physiology lab and uh, and put themselves through it and um, and 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 go through that process. It's great if they want to because it gives us some really objective data to work from. Um, but as soon as you go down the route of, of guesstimating, there's quite a margin for error in terms of guesstimation when it comes to setting training uh, heart rate training zones. So that's a bit of a a bit of a sticking point. Um, and then of course. You know whether you're using um, whether you're using uh, a VDOT calculator or you're going more down the kind of the, the Maftone kind of route. It, you know sometimes you know, the, the suggested training paces there do feel very very slow. Um, so it's kind of on a case by case basis trying to find what's going to uh, from a training pace point of view. If we're going, you know, if we're using that kind of guesstimation. Um, you know, just trying to work with the athlete and, and find an appropriate pace. But again, it's hard to give a rule of thumb for that one. So the best rule of thumb really comes back to the three C's that you were talking about and, and breathing rate. You know, I think we use the same kind of the same kind of thoughts there. Yeah, breathing is is really important too. And um, <clears throat> you know, Ooh, I think I've it all one, comes. Actually, what's that? Sorry, I've actually got another one. Um, I'm sorry to cut in. Um, the so the rhythm of your breathing relative to your footsteps as well. So. A lot of the run, and you'll you'll almost certainly found this with uh, with your guys and girls in terms of particularly again beginners, um, not always beginners. I mean, I'm I'm asthmatic and I really suffer in the in hay fever season here. So again, breathing is a really um, important thing for me to focus on at times. But it's trying to help them understand, especially when there is an asynchronicity between what a runner perceives in terms of the rhythm of their breathing and the rhythm of their their footfall helping to bring those together so you get runners who can run at a you know a, a three two inhaling exhaling um a three three or even even working on a four four that will slow you down big time if you work to try and match your footsteps four steps in four steps out or four steps in three steps out that's going to slow you right down um so yeah, sorry, I just wanted to bring that in before I forget before I forgot mainly. Thank you for doing that. And I think it all this all comes down to listening to your body and really knowing what certain uh, breath rates feel like, what certain paces feel like. And I think the only way to really know that is through experience. So if you've been running for three months, if you've been running for a year, you probably don't know your your body from a running perspective as much as you will 
three years from now, five years from now. And I think one of the most beneficial things for me, and I mentioned this on a previous podcast with Mario Fraioli, I said, you know, when it comes to consistency, I felt like I cheated because I started running on a cross country team. So I had to go to practice every day and I had to, you know, five or six days a week, I had to go to practice and I was forced to train. If I didn't, then I'd be kicked off the team. So I was kind of locked into that consistency and it helped me build the habit of running. But the other great thing that being on a team did for me was that, you know, more than half the time we were just going out and running, you know, three, four, six miles, and we weren't doing a a structured speed workout and running with a group, you know, our coach never told us to run at a certain pace. He just said, this is an easy run, go run easy. And we kind of self-filtered into a couple different groups you know the the varsity guys were up front and then some of the back of uh, back of the packers were you know running at a slower pace but no matter what group you were in everyone was running conversationally and the whole point of an easy run and this is one of the reasons why i fell in love with running at the beginning was that i was just hanging out with my friends for like a couple hours every day running around town telling jokes and telling stories and and just being a teenager and if running was so difficult every day that I wasn't able just to, you know, talk to my friends and and tell all these funny jokes and stories, then I wouldn't have been able to, to, to keep up with it. And I think making sure that your easy runs are truly easy and, and maybe running with a group on those easy runs and not just going to those club practices for the faster workouts, which side note may not be appropriate for you. Um, you know, getting together with a group for those easy runs is one of the best ways to not only force you to run at a conversational effort, but also it just makes it more fun. And I think that's going to help your consistency. It's going to help with everything in your running. I really, really couldn't agree more. Um, you know, it's, I think it's kind of the, I don't know, maybe 21st century mindset we're in where we kind of want, we want everything now and we, uh, you know, we believe that kind of no pain, no gain. And if it's, if it's hurting us, it must be good for us, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's breaking that, just breaking that mold and understanding that actually, you know, the long term view is important. Understanding that, you know, the fitness, fitness isn't one easy um, in terms of the time side of things, doesn't, doesn't come you know, overnight. And actually investing these uh, these easier sessions, as much as they don't feel like they're the sessions that you're really going to break through, in accumulation, they're the ones that build that underlying underlying resilience. There's a certain strength. We talk about strength exercises. I firmly believe there's a certain strength. Call it in, call it resilience. Call it what you want. That only comes from running um, and building it with the miles at an easy pace is far more appropriate than trying to fast track it by smashing yourself around a track um, you know, again with with sessions which are perhaps not appropriate for where you're at right now. Um, and on that note as well, there's something that's completely escaped me, so I'll think of it and, uh, and chip in and probably cut you down again. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you made an interesting point. You said, you know, this, this mentality of the 21st century, that we want it now. Mm. We don't want to wait you know, we're going to, uh, you know, try to accomplish that big goal in a month rather than two years. I think the other damaging thing, and at the risk of sounding like a cranky old guy, I, I think 
you know, while the the fitness trackers and the smart watches and all of the data that we now have available to us is really interesting, and I think it is ultimately a net benefit, it also has the the drawback of making us constantly aware of every single metric about our running. You know, we can measure power now through yeah. some of these wearables, which is really interesting, and I think it can be used strategically, but at the same time, is it really helping us become better runners? I think for, for the majority of runners, no. I think the answer is we're over-reliant on these devices. If you go back and, and you looked at you know, my high school running or even my college running and you, you asked me, hey, how, how fast were you running on today's run? I would say, I have no idea. If you asked me, hmm. how far did you run on today's run? I would say, I have no idea. I ran for 70 minutes today. I'm going to call that about 10 miles because we used a variation of Badger miles, uh, which is you know you estimate your mileage based on an average pace per mile for your easy runs. But nobody really knew, unless we were on the track, nobody knew exactly how far we were running or exactly how fast we were running. And you know what? That's where all my PRs were set for the most part, mm -hmm. you know, except for the really long stuff. But, you know, when it comes to easy days, I think, uh, you know, not really focusing on the metrics as much and just focus on running easy is much more important. Um, now, we've we've definitely kind of gone off on a tangent and talked about easy pace and, and, and speed and things like that. Um, mm. Let's come back to a point that you made earlier where you were talking about road running and how the repetitive Ooh. nature of road running offers its own um, you know, drawbacks. Can you talk more about that and, and how we can, uh, and particularly for heavier runners, how we can counterbalance that? Definitely. Um, so running is a really you know, repetitive movement pattern, particularly if you find yourself doing, um, almost exclusively, you know, miles on the, miles on the road slash miles on the pavement. Um, you know, it's, there's not a lot of variation in terms of the landing surface, um, and you know, it's all, it's about as straight line as it's going to get. So whatever your particular running form looks like, um, whether there are any kind of weak links there or weak links that, are, that, um, or, or kind of kinks from a running technique point of view that are as a result of weak links. Um, so let's say poor hip stability causing this kind of hip drop to one side, which would be putting more strain through your ITB. So let's say if your hips dropping, so that the, as you're standing on your right leg, the left hip drops, which puts more strain on the ITB on the right-hand side. Mile after mile after mile, step after step after step, these things add up. Um, and of course, we can take someone through a, a full-on kind of gait analysis and understand from a running form point of view and, a, um, and, and take them through a, um, a, a kind of a functional testing battery and understand where these weak links lie and give them correctional exercises and running form drills to help work on that. But... On top of that, we can also say, why don't we actually try and vary up the um, the demands on your body, the stimulus that your body has to work with? So get you off the fact that you're constantly running this very, very similar, very familiar, um, uh, as I say, landing surface, and throw you into a little bit more trail work or doing. Uh, you're getting out onto some hilly trails. Will do your body the world of good. Um, and again, there comes specific um, demands with that, um, and specific demands in terms of you know logistically, footwear, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the benefits in terms of the variety in, that your body, the variety of movement patterns, the variety of loading that your body will experience, will mean that 
you know, the same point in your patellofemoral joint. So your, your kneecap isn't going to be strain, stressed um, step after step after step after step because as you're running around the trails and you know, the more technical to, you know, to a point, the more technical the better, as you're running around these trails, your body's going to get such a varied workout. And anyone who's perhaps spent too long doing lots of road running, and this was certainly me, uh, not last year, year before, there's a race in mind that, that really sticks in mind with exactly this. I'd done you know, lots of my recent mileage on the road up to this point. Then I went to actually pace a client around a half marathon. And, um, and the half marathon was very much pitched as being uh, largely road, a little bit of off-road, okay, fine, whatever, two-lap two course. Um, it turns out that the little bit of off-road was about a third of each lap through newly plowed fields. And the, the fact that all of a sudden, just with that little bit of off-road running, my hips the next day, um, in a good way, just a, my muscles have worked hard kind of way, but oh, did they let me know all about it? And they illustrated to me that, James, you've been lazy, you've done nothing but road running and you need to get back out into the trails. The stuff you enjoy anyway, but just do it. Um, because you know, I was just deconditioned. Um, there, it comes back to what I was saying earlier. You can do all the right exercises. Um, and as you can imagine, I'm doing, doing these both in my own training, but alongside clients day in, day out. Um, and I can feel the, you know, for instance, glute med working when it should be working and all that stuff. But then you get out into that kind of context and it's real. Um, and it's asking questions. So again, it just comes back to the fact that there's a certain, a certain strength that only running those sorts of trails will give you. And then when talking about, um, talking to trail runners and again, interesting conversations. I'm having chat, a chat with, um, having a lot of chats at the moment with a, a friend at this end about, uh, doing more, producing more content in the uh the obstacle course race world he's big in that world i'm not i'm really not but we're kind of collaborating a bit there um and talking about the injuries that those guys pick up and of course you get your ankle sprains and this that the other as people come off uh come off um off obstacles but because of the variation those guys aren't getting the same injuries and trail runners aren't getting the same injuries as frequently as us guys and girls who just go out and pound the pavements um, so learning to bring variety into your into your uh, training plan like that is golden. Yeah, I can't agree more about the value of trail running. You know, when we think of running as such a repetitive sport, you know, anything that reduces the repetition of running is going to help with your injury prevention efforts. And that's why, you know, I, one of the hallmarks of my injury prevention philosophy is this concept of variety. And a big part of that is trail running because the surface is variable. There's usually more turns. There's more elevation changes as you go uphill and you go downhill. Uh, and I got an interesting question actually yesterday. Someone was asking me, what are trails? I don't know what trails are. Do you just mean mean anything that's off the road so how, how do you define trails james uh kind of just that really so anything um without spitting the exact words back at you um but yeah pretty much anything that's that's off road and you know you get technical trails and and more more kind of alpine trails over here where you're up into uh we've got good friends who are um they own a ski lodge in, in austria and it's great to go out there and uh, and just get out into the alps and you know Trails there are very different to the trails over in Norfolk, where I live, where you know, if any of you, you guys are familiar with the east of England, Norfolk is at pretty much as flat as, uh, as Holland, um, just over the sea there. So, you know, for us, you know, trail is just getting onto a, a nice country footpath and having a, having a run. But, um, and of course, the beach as well. You know, there, there are all sorts of different, different types. But, yeah, I'd, in very broad terms, 
just categorize that as, as off-road. Yeah, and I think there's also value in all of these off-road surfaces, you know. So, you know, there's value in just, you know, rolling dirt trails. There's value in running on hard-packed grass. And there's also value in the more technical stuff that usually you can find up in the mountains. You know, I'm here in Denver, Colorado, and so I can go into the mountains and just get on some really crazy technical uh, mountain trails that are, you know, what you kind of envision when you think about trail running. But I think, mm. you know, a lot of runners, particularly beginners or, or those who haven't done a lot of trail running, they think of trails as, as those technical single track mountain trails where, you know, you're up at 10,000 feet and you're climbing and dodging rocks and there's boulders coming down an avalanche next to you. <laughs> and it's like, okay, it's not all that intense. You know, any off-road surface I think has value. And, uh, you know, one of the other interesting nuances of trail running is that it can sometimes be a lot slower than running on the road. So if, if, any of our listeners are like, okay, I'm going to go do my long run, you know, on the trails this weekend, then I think that's great. Except, you know, if you're running one or two or more minutes per mile slower than you normally are, because the trail is more technical or there's more hills, I think it's a much more uh, beneficial time to run based on time rather than distance. So if your long run is usually, let's say nine miles at 10 minute mile pace, and that's a 90 minute run, if you get on the trails, that nine miles might take, you know, a lot longer. It might take an hour and 45 minutes. And mm. if you're not ready to run an hour, 45 minutes, you know, that's an, a lot of extra volume for the day, especially on a long run. Then it's mm. much more beneficial to kind of say, okay, I'm just going to run the 90 minutes. And I'm just going to say it's the equivalent effort of that nine mile run, even though the distance is shorter, but I think the overall effort and the you know, physiological response is similar enough that we can just call it a draw. Absolutely. And, you know, I, um, when was it? November? Must have been November just gone. Um, ran a half marathon again here in London. There's the, the towpath, a lot of the Thames towpath, which is a, a lovely place to run. And in fact, you know, it's new, near where I used to live. So it felt like a run down memory lane a little bit. Um, it was a little bit damp underfoot and a little bit boggy in places. Um, and I thought I was kind of roughly in 145 shape. Um, and I was on one hand surprised, on the other hand not surprised, just only to scrape it just beyond two hours. Um, because again, it was, uh, it's just that little bit more, little bit more on the legs. Um, it was pretty boggy and, uh, and treacherous in places. And, uh, yeah, where I thought I was, if it was going to be a road half marathon on the flat versus a very flat trail, just two completely different, two completely different outcomes. So uh, just, you know, be, be forgiving with yourself on that one. Just kind of don't, don't stress about it. It's, it's good for your legs in other ways rather than just staring at your Garmin. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it reminds me, the last trail race I did was a half marathon. And mm -hmm. I ran 30 minutes, and I was in good shape. I ran 30 minutes slower than my road half marathon PR because mm -hmm. the hills and the technical nature of uh, the trails were just so were so technical and so intense that I was so much slower. And uh, I think, you know, obviously in a race situation, you're paying more, much more attention to pace. But, you know, if you're on, it just goes to show that if you're on the trails, you really just need to focus on effort and time a lot more than um, actual pace. Like you said, forget, forget about the Garmin for a little while. Now, James, this has been awesome. Uh, this We have so many very concrete and actionable strategies that runners can take from this conversation to 
reduce their injury risk, improve their training, lose some extra weight, and hopefully get a lot stronger too. So I want to thank you for coming on. This has been uh, helpful for me, and, and, I, and I think it's going to be very helpful for our listeners as well. Thank you very much for the invitation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope we get to do this again sometime. Yeah, we definitely will. And um, uh, like I said uh, earlier in the conversation, there's going to be a lot of extra resources because, you know, we talked about strength exercises and trail running and all kinds of other things, uh, pacing. And I want to include some resources for all of those different topics. So those are going to be on the blog post here. Um, You know, you can go check out James's stuff there too. So don't miss that. And with that, James, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much. I'll speak to you soon. And there we have it. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to check out James's website, kineticrevolution.com. And there's a hyphen in between kinetic and revolution for a lot of prevention and strength videos, tutorials, and a lot of other resources. And then finally, don't forget to download the free digital guide, The Little Black Book of Prevention and Recovery at strengthrunning.com slash elites. Have a great day. Run strong. We'll be in touch soon.